This is the School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland, the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools. It was important for me to find a school that was suitable for both my kids. Parents are very savvy about school choice, that independent schools are providing what parents want. Highly accomplished and lead teachers are doing amazing things every day in the classrooms. The message behind all of this is for, for all of us, men and women, whatever gender you are, is to create your own perspective of leadership that works for you, that is authentic for you. Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director of Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland and welcome to The School Bell. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Barbara Waterston. Barbara is an author, researcher, coach and leadership expert specialising in design and delivery of professional learning programs for schools and education system leadership to ensure learning for all. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Shari. It's a delight to be here. Thanks for joining us. So why a focus on leadership and why gender leadership? I think the focus on leadership more broadly when we think about um, what leadership brings in terms of uh, if we look at schools and systems, um, the importance of leadership in creating the enabling conditions for everyone to thrive. So we immediately go to students, but it's, it's actually, um, it's all of us. It's all of those who are in your sphere of influence and greater diversity of leadership ensures um, higher productivity, innovation, better outcomes, better decision-making. So when we think about um, no matter where you sit, for example, in an education system, whatever your role is, whether it's uh, teacher, leader, uh, whether you're in, uh, more in the, the central office or the system leadership piece, every decision that you make as a leader will ultimately impact on those outcomes uh, in classrooms. So it doesn't matter if you're in, say, for example, the corporate sector, the decisions you make will impact ultimately at that level. So I think the importance of leadership, and particularly when we think about school leadership, second only to teaching and having that impact on outcomes. So essentially we want the best possible teachers and leaders that we have uh, in our schools and in our systems, and, and that will ensure those enhanced outcomes. Why is there underrepresentation of women in leadership? I think that's a really, really complex uh, question when we think about underrepresentation. For example, if we focus on the education sector, we're over, and internationally as well, more than you know, 70% of those in education are female. Yet when we look at uh, leadership um, levels, whether they be um, the principalship, those senior executive levels, are all held by men, even though we are a female-dominated workforce. And whilst I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having having male leaders in a sense, but what that tells us is that there is also a question around, well, why isn't it that we have um, the same ratio of male to female leaders, uh, in whether it's in schools or, or more broadly? And we see that in, in, in many other uh, you know, sectors as well, business, um, finance, um, medical, uh, where those senior executive leadership positions, public service, for example, one of my uh, consultancies was to look at an area of public service where where there are many women in, the, in that sector, but they are predominantly in the middle leadership tiers. So why is there underrepresentation? Again, if we come back to that, it's a really complex issue. And I think there's some you know external and internal barriers as to why that is why that is the case. So when you said it's around 70% of women in um, school education, is it? 
yeah, in school education. But I think even if you look at, for example, uh, the public sector, the public service who might be uh, um, in the education sector, uh, again, more predominantly, more predominantly women. And then, what is the percentage? Do you know of women in leadership as opposed to that seventy percent across the whole? Yeah, it's really diverse. So predominantly, um, it certainly wouldn't even be fifty percent. Uh, though in some in some systems, for example, um, a, a state system, there's been a real emphasis on encouraging and thinking about talent identification. And with that comes identifying more women into leadership. So we're gradually seeing more women come into uh, leadership positions or think about applying for leadership positions, being encouraged to and looking forward to having that opportunity to have a greater impact and influence. My most recent stats were in Australia up from probably 200 and, sorry, 2016. And uh, there hasn't been, for example, a South Australian school survey undertaken for some time. So you really need to get the statistics from individual systems and sectors. Even so, for example, if you think about ISQ and the amount of people who uh, are women who are teachers and women who are leaders in that system and predominantly you will consistently see that there is that lower representation of women in uh, senior education leadership positions in comparison to how many women are actually in the sector so um, whether that's you know in Australia in different sectors Catholic government independent whether it's in the public service or internationally the most recent piece that I was sort of alluding to with, with regards to Alberta who's just finished a quite a, a solid piece of research around that representation it's still it's still much lower women are represented uh, far less in those um, principal and executive positions even though they dominate completely in, um, in in roles as teachers and you know conversely we really need to think about why is it why is it that that, that men are not coming into the profession and I think that goes back to a lot about um, attractiveness of the, of the profession but also the gendered nature of the profession and the perception of it um, and we limit our choices based on our gender so meandering into other areas here but no I was going to ask you that I mean why are there the barriers especially for women I think I think well you know probably just need to look at the latest uh, um, information that we're seeing in the media with regards to what's being highlighted in the way that women are treated in the way that there is that sort of double bind as to we can't be too soft or too hard or we can't be both and whether whether that's in education or whether that's um, um, beyond the, the piece about how we how we perceive leadership. So when my uh, co-author Jane and I were sort of putting the book together, we were looking at, well, you know, if you do a Google search on leadership, what do you see? Well, it's predominantly male and it's predominantly a white male over a certain age. And then if you look up the principalship, or if you look up, uh, do a Google search for principal, the images still are predominantly male. And and to me, that's about the messaging. It's what, what we see constantly. And it's very subtle, but it's, there's a bias in there that we don't even recognise. And I think unconscious bias is is a real um, something to consider when we think about why are there barriers and why don't we diversify and think about multiple faces of leadership. You mentioned your book, which is Step In, Step Up, that you co-authored with Jane Kesey, or it's all about empowering women for the school leadership journey. Is that a standalone learning tool? How does it work? It's meant to be a standalone uh, tool, but it can also be used in conjunction with uh, a program. For example, with the uh, masterclass we'll be doing with ISQ, it is it's one day, but hopefully the intent is that the book will seed a greater conversation around uh, for those women who are currently in leadership, how they may support others, 
or if I want to take that leadership journey myself. So it can be used in a variety of ways. Uh, you could do it by yourself individually and go through all the chapters. You could work with um, a group of colleagues, whether it's online or face-to-face. Um, some people are actually doing it as um, you know their own professional dialogue and conversation, uh, communities of practice, and certainly in, in Alberta, the, the focus there was on we want to create communities of practice and we want to have a resource to be able to support us in that. So the purpose of the book was to do a number of things, to share, to share the research, to share the context, and to then say, well, okay, what does this mean for you? To provide reflective questions, to provide resources, and guide those conversations. And we know, for example, that supporting the development of others um, through mentoring and coaching is, is a really positive piece. So those people who are engaged in that work are using the book to support that conversation and to actually provide a really uh, rich resource for, to do that. When Jane and I came together to write the book, we met, we met during a conference where we were both keynoting about four years ago in, in Australia, in, uh, in Brisbane, actually. And... Jane, Jane is a prolific author and she said, we need to write about this. And I said, oh, yes, I know. <laughs> and um, anyway, with her push, we, we, we both worked on that together with our respective uh, skill sets and um, resources and, and knowledge and, and sharing, the, sharing examples of not just our own experiences, but such diverse examples from women, you know, all over the world. Yes, and I, think- I, no- I noticed that. And I thought that when looking through the book that, uh, which, as you say, will be used in your masterclasses, which is fantastic as well, and everyone gets a copy of that and can have that as an ongoing resource. But there's some... Um, parts in their little boxes that come from other leaders and their own experiences. One I think was interesting where you kind of alluded to this before, I think there was about that unconscious bias and the way that even there's sort of 42 ways people speak to um, women leaders and then there's 42 different ways that they speak to men leaders. Can you go into yeah. a bit of that? I just I think we have example about expectations and... and um, what, what we may accept from a male leader, we may not expect from a female leader. And I guess to sort of, you know, summarise all of that research, whether it's in education and beyond, is there are different expectations and higher expectations placed upon women. Um, and if, if, you're, if you're too soft, then, and which, we, which is an interesting thing, when, when we use the word soft, it actually devalues what, what that means. So when we talk about soft skills, they are the essential skills. They are the glue that brings brings us all together, those interpersonal skills, the ability to have empathy, to uh, collaborate, coordinate, bring people together, which is a much more empowering focus, whereas um, other skills like the hard skills, is, is like, it's not power over, but powerful in the sense of being strategic, being intentional, these are all good things. And I think what we find is that we have a dichotomy between the soft and the hard, and we need the both, and that's that's the other piece that we write about in the book is the masculine and feminine archetypes and how we might describe those attributes, which in and of themselves are really fantastic, but they couldn't, they shouldn't be the only things. And so what women bring uh, to, to the table is more of that radar-like perspective about thinking about what everyone is, um, how everyone is engaging at the table. However, we make decisions based for women based on their gender. And so... Um, you know, a lot of the research that recently came out was women are still not seen to be or encouraged, particularly younger women who may be of childbearing years. Um, well, if we if we hire her, she she may leave, get pregnant, and and then we're you know we're looking at others as opposed to thinking that in a really really positive way. 
because you're bringing different experiences. But uh, I think even there's so many examples that women have shared with us when, when they're sitting at the table, not feeling that, um, you know, their voices are actually being heard. For example, they've come up with an idea and then three minutes later through the conversation, a male colleague will come up with an idea and that's really taken on board. And that may sound so simplistic, but it's, it happens, those examples happen frequently, but also there's our own internal barriers as well. I do think it's about the way that we construct gender and uh, the way we devalue the feminine. And I, even in my younger days, when I was about 17, I'd always hear this saying, you know, oh, you're, a, you're just like a girl, or don't be like a girl, which was always attached to weakness. And now, obviously, we're seeing that changing, but I think the negative connotations we attach to to, to women and our higher expectations of them as leaders. So if a, if a woman is assertive and one of the younger, and I literally do mean younger emerging leaders, uh, that was in one of my um, programs was saying, I, I don't want to be seen to be assertive, you know, um, you know, putting myself forward because because that's not seen as, as what I should be doing. So that, that's two things. That's an external barrier and our own internal barrier. And so we assertive, see assertiveness and strength. Um, from women as particularly maybe not as desirable. Um, there's, there's a classic photo of um, a, um, a cricketer, a batsman, standing with his arms held high because he's just got his 100 runs and there's a fantastic uh, photo of um, a female soccer player doing the same thing after a goal. And the, the notations next to each was like, no, he really toughed it out, how amazing. And, and the other for the female was what an ego this woman has. And again, a very simplistic example in a sense, but a very deep example because it, again, it's those visuals, what we see and the labels that we place on them. And we place those labels based on whether they're masculine or feminine. So I'd really not like to be having this conversation about gender and leadership because it should just be about what do great leaders do, which is very much what Jane and I talk about in her book in terms of the archetypes. What are those high quality, what are those fantastic archetypes of masculine and feminine leaders um, that we want both? We don't want either or, we want both and. And so I just remember as a child of the 80s, you know, in terms of teaching and leading, you know, we had to put our big shoulder pads on and be like men. Well, well, we don't need to be like that. And I suppose the message behind all of this is for, for all of us, men and women, whatever gender you are, is to create your own perspective of leadership that works for you, that is authentic for you and allows your, allows your strength to flourish, but equally knowing where your challenges are and having those guides on the side and, and other you know, key mentors to support you in that role. Yes, I was going to ask about mentors. I think uh, obviously when you do these masterclasses, there's usually a networking element to them. How important is networking and, of course, developing a mentoring arrangement? I think it's essential. I think it's essential for any leadership development program. But I think for women in particular, we don't hear those stories. Um, And so to be able to hear stories from um, a range of women who have been successful, but also here. And the most important thing to hear is what were your barriers? What got in your way? And what did you do about it? And often, and we read all sorts of um, examples of high high profile leaders. They're not sure about themselves. And when you see and look at them, you go, oh, that, I would not have thought that you would feel that way. But of, of course you do. We all suffer from the imposter syndrome, for example. But what is it that you do about that? And, and, how, how can we learn from others? So, again, in all of the women in leadership classes and, and even when we talk about leadership and gender with programs with all genders, what can we focus on for us and what stories and essential lessons can we learn that, um, 
are particularly poignant for, for, for what we need. And that comes back to, I guess, why you want to be a leader in the first place. You have to create your own leadership identity, don't you? I think the only takeaway message here is to create your why. Why is it that you want to be a leader? And it may be um, hearing those stories of other people and, and how they address negative situations and how they turn that around for themselves. And it's continually about sharpening the saw and what do I need to do? And it's never done. And it's, you know, it's always a work in progress. And even when we talk about leadership programs more broadly, it's ongoing development and it's what do I need when? So I may be, I may have been a great leader at this particular school or in this particular role, but I might need to use different strengths. I might be challenged in different ways um, in another, in another context. But the bottom line is what underpins all of that is who am I? What do I value? what's really important to me and how do I enact that as a leader? And my favourite saying is the rule is there are no rules, but there are some fundamentals. And and I think that's around your own, you know, personal leadership resources and Ken Leithwood um, uh, Research in Canada has just done some amazing research uh, around leadership development for many, many years. Ken Leithwood's Research in Canada profiled um, the emphasis on personal resources, you know, the, the interpersonal, the social, really understanding who you are as a person. Previous to that, there were numerous standards, frameworks that really focused on management uh, of leadership, even management within schools. It didn't focus on necessarily those enabling qualities, those soft skills that we talk about, which we really need to call essential skills that bring people together and unite. You know, you and I might have the same knowledge and expertise in one way, but what makes us successful is the way we enact those and the way we empower others and the way that we are um, strategic and have a sense of a vision and we can actually share that story. So going back to hearing the stories of other women is actually really empowering for those who are embarking on the journey because if we go to the point well we saw we see more male leaders than female leaders so what is it what are the nuances that we can learn from that um, that can inform our work and I think no matter what program you have and particularly a women in leadership program the um, engagement of mentors is absolutely critical and as we know with mentors and mentoring um, we, we both learn. If I'm, if I'm the mentor and you're the mentee, we are both going to learn from that and we'll build all of our skills to, together and learn from each other. So, for example, the masterclass is some beautiful um, stories that we're going to hear from, you know, very successful women, very diverse uh, groups of women um, sharing their stories, their enablers, and how, you know, we often say, well, how do you do it? How do you balance all of these competing demands? And, and what little gems can we learn from you? And I think, I think that's the greatest thing about engaging in any kind of professional learning activities is what we learn from each other. And as someone who's, uh, I've been engaged in designing, developing, you know, not just running the programs, but bringing others in, um, you can have all the expertise and a great program, but what really makes any professional learning activity sing uh, is the wisdom and the experiences in the room and the way those participants engage with each other and learn from each other. And invariably, they will remain in contact post, post the activity because those connections are so strong. And I think that leads to the other piece too, that networking and really, really appreciating and engaging in those networks, whether they're formal or informal, and seeking them out and knowing that you have value to add to that. 
I think you're right. I think that whole thing of the storytelling and the inspiring stories and also knowing you're not alone and that, as you say, shared imposter syndrome that probably everyone has regardless of gender, but to know that there are other people just like you, someone had to give them a first chance to become the leader and, as you say, it's evolving and constantly changing, constantly learning, so uh, having others to hear their stories and to continue with that networking. I'm sure you have a mentor or did at some point. Do you still have one? I do, but it's probably uh, a more informal piece in the sense of I just know to go who who would I go to to ask uh, or, or what are they doing and what have they learned. So I have a number of colleagues um, that that I connect with in that way, and I think most people would say that that's the thing that that's really important because you can get inside your own head, and you know part the whole piece around mentoring as well is actually having that opportunity to hear yourself think and someone to respond to that. And I think just taking that one step further about the mentoring, which really goes on to my other kind of piece around, you know, we really wanting to encourage multiple faces of leadership, understanding what that really does look like so that we see leadership not just as male, not just as, as white. And, and again, not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we need to visually see um, many, many more examples of, of that and, and understanding that it can look it can look different but can equally be successful no matter how it's enacted. Thank you so much, Barbara. We really appreciate all your um, uh, talking to us at the School Bell today and look forward to your masterclass, which is in the um, 23rd of April. And for those listening after that date, uh, there's so much that you've unpacked in this podcast about that and the ongoing resource of your book, uh, Step In, Step Up. So thank you very much, Barbara. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, Shari. It's been an absolute privilege and thanks for the opportunity. You have been listening to The School Bell, an Independent Schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au. To catch our next episode or listen to some previous podcasts, you can subscribe to ISQ's The School Bell on iTunes or Google Play. You can also listen via our website or wherever you get your podcasts.